and welcome to the Men Up Podcast. I am Christian Shabu. Will Van Dyke. What up, y'all? Lamar Womble. And thank you for joining us this week and every week as we dig into culture, current events, and our own events. And as we redefine manhood and masculinity so that all of us, however you identify, can thrive. Now, before we get into today's episode, we'd like to ask you to listen. And if you get a level up, please continue to support us in those reviews, in those feedback, comments, in those five-star ratings, of course, if we earn them, so that we can continue to spread the good word across all of our communities. All right, Gerald, so if you have been with us here for season four, you know that when the three of us are together, when Lamar, Will, and I join forces for an episode, we like to start at the top with something that we are calling Shots of Hope. I'm going to start here and... You know, I'm going to take you on a little journey here because I think that the, the Shots of Hope starts uh, very bleak here, right? Which is obviously, uh, if you've been paying attention to the news, uh, you've seen that the Supreme Court had issued uh, a an initial draft of a ruling that is going to overturn Roe v. Wade. That is terrible. That is bleak. We will just state that here from the top. The thing that has offered me a little bit of hope in this moment is as I've gone to social media, as I've been in conversation with other guys in my community, this feels like one of the first times, hopefully not the last, in which a lot of men are speaking up, not just to say we are allies to women and them having the full range of benefits and freedom of health and their right to choose, but men actually acknowledging that women not having that freedom actually impacts them directly. And that feels a little bit new, at least to me, with the idea that there are men actually articulating that this thing directly affects us. Women not having the full range of freedom to do as they see fit for their health, for their lives, for their families' lives, that that actually has a direct impact on us. And so it's been really powerful to see uh, men talk about how abortions and if that's happened in their family at some point, how that directly affects them, how they aren't just merely bystanders in this, but actually need to be more active in this conversation. That's been really powerful and gives me a little bit of hope in a moment where it does not seem very hopeful. Will, I want to pass it over to you. What do you have for a shot of hope here today? I've spent a lot of mental uh, uh, time thinking about exactly what you were just articulating, but I, I want to um, just kind of pivot to a uh, <clears throat> shot of hope for me is completing projects. I'm in a room here that I, we've been working on for months on end, it seems like, I think now six months. And there was elements of this that was our responsibility as the homeowners to get finished. And we are like, like the front hood of our car is through the tunnel of this project. And it feels absolutely fantastic. Uh, completing projects, I, I feel like over the last many years, there's been this thread of stagnation we're all sort of, you know, either stuck in our homes or not seeing the progress that we want in a lot of different ways and going super micro and completing projects at a very micro level gives you that shot of dopamine and endorphin rush that you're just like, you know what? Awesome. I did it. I completed that project. I feel great about it. And I think for me, uh, mentally, for sure, completing something like this that also then has sort of a butterfly effect, meaning we can use this space again. We can use the other spaces that are being impacted by this larger project. Completing projects, I think, just in general is like, even at the very small level, <laughs> is is just, you know, a little shot 
that everybody needs. All right, y'all, uh, that is it for our shots of hope. But as you're listening, make sure you're identifying a shot of hope for yourself, whether it's for today or for this week, that's going to allow you to keep going, allow you to be hopeful during times when sometimes it doesn't feel as hopeful. With that, we are going to get into it. It is game time, y'all. And this season, we're digging into understanding how ideas of manhood and masculinity, how they shape our daily lives, how there might be some moments of hope, but honestly, why this is a moment in time where it is urgent for us to do this work, the urgency of now. So Lamar, I want to pass it over to you. What are we focusing on here today? Today, we're going to be talking about um, transgender athletes and transgender athletes competing um, against cisgendered uh, athletes. And so I think in this conversation, it's very complex um, and we are also not experts, but I think it's important for us to be able to share at least common terminology uh, when we're having these conversations around gender identity, uh, sexuality, um, and, and all of those things. And so for me, I know this has been helpful and I've had folks in my life that do identify as trans uh, help me get clear on like the terms and what to say and what not to say, how to speak uh, correctly. Um, and so I think this is a great way for us to start off this conversation around transgender athletes is by at least sharing some of the terminology. So I'm going to just start by sharing the, the definition of the word trans. Um, and this is really just denoting or relating to a person whose sense of personal identity uh, and gender does not correspond with their birth sex, right? Um, and so cisgendered, um, and what that is denoting or relating is to a person that uh, whose sense of personal identity and or gender uh, corresponds with their birth sex, right? So you would be cisgendered if you were born a male and you identify uh, personally uh, as a male, right? And so uh, those are two big terms that I wanted to share off the start. And then just really gender identity as a whole uh, and what this means. So it's one's deeply held sense, core belief uh, of being a girl, a woman, a boy or a man, or some of both uh, or neither. Uh, one's gender identity does not always correspond to biological sex. Where are you all in terms of like terminology as it relates to the, the LGBTQ community and, and your familiarity and comfort level? Consider y'all are both leaders uh, male leaders um, in organizations, environments, um, and and companies. Uh, I'll start. I, I feel pretty com comfortable. Not not always confident. One of the biggest gains I would say from my level of comfort is the acceptance of if you don't get something right, it's okay to sort of ask for clarity. If you've misgendered somebody or maybe call them by their dead name. Uh, dead name is a term that I, I think everybody should know as well. You know, the, the, it, it coincides a lot of times with uh, misgendering people. And, uh, and so uh, when you do that, being comfortable with asking for clarity, apologizing, and, you know, make that switch in your brain so that you, it doesn't happen again. One of the things that you and I, Lamar, have talked a lot about and have, have probably benefited from a lot is working in organizations, in teams that are fairly progressive and, and prioritize, you know, understanding, uh, accepting the LGBTQIA community and having conversations around gender and identity. I, you know, I think broadly, you know, we, we often find 
a lack in our society of conversations related to identity, right? And so I think we've been very fortunate. It sounds like Will too, like have been fortunate to be in organizations and teams that do uh, presence and center conversations around identity because it allows for us to get more comfortable here. You know, I, I think one of the things that I've benefited from over time is, is just understanding you know, how much we prioritize the use of pronouns in, in our society, right? Rather than using somebody's name as they've identified themselves, right? It's, it's interesting just understanding those like little, little shifts in language that can actually go a long way, right? So rather than, you know, using uh, pronouns, which of course we can use pronouns like we should, right? But, but rather than relying so heavily on that or, or relying so heavily on, on identifying groups of people as guys, right? That's another one. That's another sort of like language shift that, that I think- <laughs> Shout I've, out to Shante J. Right, shout out to, exactly, right? Like we've had, we can identify a handful of people in our lives that we've directly worked with on a daily basis that have helped us make those shifts, right? And offered that space, um, those those moments for clarity and for change and grace to support us. But But those little shifts in language, I think can go a long way. I think the big conversation late has been about Leah Thomas, who was a uh, swimmer uh, for University of Pennsylvania, was previously on the men's team for three years and then swam uh, this past year on the women's team and won a national championship. Really what we wanted to dive into you all today is just really this conversation around why is this an issue, right? Why is this an issue for our country? Why is this uh, taking the world by the country by storm and so many people are like propped up against uh, transgendered athletes um, competing and where they identify and where they feel like them themselves. Um, and so, yeah, you know, the article that I read about Leah Thomas, there were teammates of hers that said, Leah has every right to identify the way she identifies, but we don't believe that she should be able to compete against other women, cisgendered women, I should say. Um, and so it, when I hear that, to me, it makes it come down to like, you're, all you're saying is that like, you just don't want her name in the record books or you just don't want her to win first place over you. Like, that's what I hear when I, when I read that. And so let's open up this, com this conversation around just like, why is competition, why is fairness, why are we so obsessed with this? And why is this like more important than how somebody identifies, feels, shows up, feels like themselves? Like, why is that? Not that people don't identify themselves as like a competitor in first place is everything. Like I get all that, but let's talk. I like how you couched it in the competition angle of things because there's some real fundamental facts to this situation too that like we'll get to eventually, but like at the root of it, people are definitely upset because she's winning or won, right? And so like the one fact that I'll just throw out, NCAA has had rules on transgender athletes competing against cisgendered counterparts since 2003. This is not... That's so interesting, right? I saw this that. is not new. This is not new. They updated their rules, which are still technically the rules, sort of the rules that are in place since 2010. So we're talking about a decade and a half of competition. And really people are like, oh, she's winning. So now we're upset. Earlier this season, we had a guest on uh, Carolyn Staco, Coach Carolyn, 
who works in athletic administration for a long time now as a coach to other athletic directors at the high school collegiate level. And at the time, she said something in that episode that I it's it's taken me a couple months now to process a little bit. And she said something to the fact that like competition, she's like, ultimately competition is bad, right? Like that's what she's saying. I'm paraphrasing there. She said it much more eloquently. So you should all go back and listen to that episode early in the season. At the time I was like, well, what does she like, what does she mean by that? Cause, cause I would say that like competition, in a lot of ways in my personal life has been good in a lot of ways. And so I've, I've taken some time to, to sit with that and, and to just think about it a little bit more. And, and what I've come to for myself is, the the point the point that she's making the way that that's connected for me is that our reliance on competition is what is fundamentally bad right like or fundamentally needs adjustment needs to be deprioritized right because a lot of that competition isn't about the internal competition of like am i becoming a better athlete am i learning x y or z as a result of participating in this sport it's all about am i getting the win or the loss against another person right and then if that's how we're framing competition, then that's where this whole conversation around like fairness as related to biological sex and whatever abilities you have or do not have because of the, the sex that you were born into and what that means biologically, physiologically, like that's where this whole thing comes in. It is ultimately caring about the winner or the loss. And when I think we have plenty of areas in our lives where if that's all we're focused on, there's some pretty big problems going on. And unfortunately, that, that's where a lot of, I think, some of the challenges we have around patriarchy, right? Like, and, and ideas of manhood and masculinity are all based in like, whether you're winning or losing, whether you're the winner or the loser, right? And that's it. It's in, and once again, one of those dichotomies that we're trying to break, I think. I, I guess I didn't realize that you were going to go after competition and in response there, because I, I feel slightly differently. I, I'll, I'll be honest, I, I still... I still believe in competition as a driver of, you know, done well uh, can can prove out a lot of qualities in both society and both in in sort of like things. I think we just have a skewed perspective of com competition in general. In the matter of, of Leah Thomas here, and, and we're almost not nuancing the benefits of human development in general uh enough like there's so many nuances and and i want to for and again this is i'm wading sort of into this knowing that i don't want to diminish leah thomas's success but like uh, one of the arguments that i read that was actually i thought fairly effective in framing this situation was the comparison to somebody who has a natural competitive advantage like Michael Phelps. Michael Phelps can hold his breath longer than men, like almost anybody in the world. He also is physically shorter and more compact in the legs and longer in the body. Like his body is different to a competitive advantage to anybody else, regardless of gender. And so to say then that we're going to pick and choose the elements in which you think somebody has a competitive advantage and ignoring some of the natural things that are also happening with traditional cisgendered people, it, it, it's we're, like we're in such misalignment of what those 
of what, what things actually are factoring into, right? There are going to be advantages in human nature sort of as a whole. And in some ways there are the competitiveness though is like the driving force. Done right, competitiveness is not maybe necessarily the main issue in this. It's picking and choosing what you think is. So it's your it's your feelings over the facts of the matter, I guess. At the end of the day, I still think competition uh, is incredibly valuable. I'd say that there's a reframe around where, like, where are we seeking the competition? Is the competition with the outside force, the other team, the other mm-hmm. competitor, or is is it internal? Right. So that's point one. Right. That I want to clarify around competition. I think I, I I bring up the point about competition, right? Because I think one of the arguments that I've heard as to why we can't allow you know transgender athletes to compete in you know whatever sport, male, female, boy, girl, whatever, like is, is often framed as is the case with Leah Thomas here, like is often framed around a transgender athlete competing in a woman's sport or in a woman's team and league. Right. And the argument is often like, well, if we allow that, right, well, where does it end? It just opens the floodgates. And suddenly there's going to be lots of people who once identified as men are now identifying as women. Now they're competing and that's unfair. Right. And like that kind of argument, I mean, there are, two significant problems there. One, it's disingenuous, right? Because it's assuming that the only reason that somebody is identifying as being transgender and wanting to compete there is because they actually want to win. They want to win. They want to win. The whole life, I just want to win. Right, like, like, so point one, like, rather than honoring how they identify and how they feel and wanting to be fully alive and present in who they are, it's more about the win than about who they are, right? And so that's disingenuous and problematic. But then two, it assumes some pretty bleak things about like humanity generally, right? That suddenly, if we as a society become more accepting for transgender athletes competing in whichever field they want to compete in, that suddenly, like, it just means a lot of guys or a lot of girls are going to compete uh, on whichever side just so they can win. That's a pretty bleak, like, view of humanity generally. Less than 1% of athletes that play collegiate sports are identify as trans, uh, transgender. Um, and, and I think what we've alluded to here is that it's only a problem when they win. And what we know is, is that Leah Thomas, in this particular example, is an outlier. And you could almost argue that any transgender person, uh, trans, trans woman that is competing against other cisgendered women if they win, it's not, it's an outlier. And I think that is what a lot of the articles and things that I've read is that like, this is, this is not happening at a rate that the that 22 states need to be making laws against transgender women competing against cisgender, cisgender girls. To, it's not happening at that level. And it's just a mass overreaction of wins and losses versus someone's livelihood, someone's identity, someone, how they feel, maybe from the moment that they were born or 18 months in that they felt that they, they've identified as someone else. Um, and, and I say all that to say that as we talk about just transgender people in general, right? To zoom back out to, to mental health and safety. And we know that um, trans young people are 
losing their life at a faster rate, right, than 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 anyone else. Um, and that their mental health of trying to cope with who they are, what the world is willing to accept, um, and the communities, even in their families, of acceptance, that alone, that mental burden, like is can is also driving them to suicide, right? And so the fierce urgency of now, y'all, is we really have an opportunity to be an ally in understanding and love and exposing um, acceptance to say, if we, can, if we can change the way we believe these things now, before the number gets to 15, 20%, we can reverse the trajectory that transgender young people, people are on, which is not where we wanna see people in our society be. The, the Leah Thomases of, of the world, that they're, there's so much sacrifice. There's, there's no certainty that you, if you have more transgendered women competing against cisgender men, women, that they're going to start winning more. There's just no, there's no science behind that. So, so you're going to get a scenario where really, you know, they're taking, nobody, no, no transgender woman is, is gambling that oh, if I transition now, I'll be able to win in a year. Because in every sport that they play, they have to take those hormones suppressants. They have to show that they've been on the hormone suppressants and, and meeting certain hormone levels for more than a year in advance. And including being quite literally on them up until four weeks before an event. So like you're leveling things out just based on the parameters that are already in place. So I just you know, I, I think it's almost, you know, I guess the, the root of that point is keep investing in women's sports and you're going to see them get better at sports. 100%. That's just, that's just the reality. We've mentioned a couple of times now the word fairness, right? And, and this idea that it, it can potentially feel unfair, right? If it, in this Leah Thomas like scenario, right? That for several seasons was competing uh, in the men's level and then switched over to the women's level, right? And like that feels unfair, right? It's like, well, and, and I've also heard as part of this argument, like, oh, well, how is this person only identifying as this now, right? Whether they're in their teens, 20s, 30s, 40s, whenever they identify. It's like, well, let's zoom out here for a second and take it out of the context of sports here and just look at our society and, and like, how is it fair that we haven't created a context in our communities and in our world where people actually can understand their identity, right? The reason why it's only this Leah Thomas or anybody else is only coming to understand their identity at this point is because we haven't created the space in our society that like you can actually have really honest, vulnerable, nuanced conversations about your identity. So of course, somebody might not really fully understand their identity until later in life, right? Or, or that it's an evolution, like, like you continue to understand more about your identity. So, so when we talk about fairness, like I think some of what all of us can do, not just women competing in sports, right? Because obviously we've, we focused a lot here on that because we've been focused on the Leah Thomas example, but for all of us to like zoom out and say like, well, let's not just look at fairness on a, on a very specific level in this like sport or in this moment, but like in our society. And, and it's not fair that we don't have a place where people can really fully embrace themselves and understand their identity and we embrace them. Society is one thing, the people in your inner circle are another. And I'm not even talking about like the, the friends you choose, I'm talking about your family. Right. That is probably the biggest setback 
for people to be able to really own and identify who they are because they don't know how mom and dad are going to react. They don't know how aunt and uncle are going to react. They don't know how grandma and grandpa are going to react. And imagine being Southern Baptist growing up in Georgia and saying, you know what? I, um, I'm, I'm, I'm transgender. I want to identify as a woman. And what pressures come along with trying to navigate that in your life on top of not having somewhere in your community space at work to be able to like be free and share that, open up about that. You know what I mean? And so I think it's really internal. That is, is our bigger challenge is like, how do we have conversations like this to where like cisgender people that may listen to our podcast can be like, you know what, let me have a moment of pause and like have a different thought about what I've thought about this in the past. Um, so yeah, I, you know, I think that, that, internal circle is even more important than like the out the external place of society. Leah Thomas's success does not also equal a reduction in societal masculinity. No. Her success right. and any of the future successes does not equal a reduction in anybody's masculinity. Like that is not, that is, there's corollaries, right? That that I think a lot of talking heads will say that, oh, this is just a reflection of the decline of the man. Yeah. And you know, it's not, it's just not. This conversation is not a reduction on the country's or society's masculinity either. This is important that we have sort of clumsy but somewhat educated conversations about how to navigate and talk about these types of situations for ourselves so i just wanted to make sure that we also said that like this is one person's gain is not your loss on the outer edges of this conversation is black men and black men cross-dressing um black men wearing skirts and dresses and not just any black men, but like celebrity black men, um, athletes, rappers, and that there's this agenda to feminize, or I don't know if that's the word, but uh, to, to make black men seem and appear more uh, feminine. Um, and so I, I have a hard time accepting that conversation because going back to a lot of the things that we've said here um, is that it's individual, right? It's, it's per the person. Um, and it's hard for you to be like to pick three black men that are celebrities and say, you know, to pick Russell Westbrook, to pick Lil Nas X and to pick Young Thug or I don't even know if it was Young Thug, but it might have been. Um, and it'd be like, well, because they wear dresses, they're trying to get in the minds of young black men to say that it is OK to identify as who they feel they are. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what are we actually saying? Like, what are we actually saying? So. Yeah, I just wanted to bring in that because it is on the, like the outskirts of the conversation, but also, um, you know, a commitment that I have to to really talk about and bring those issues to the forefront as well. A note that I didn't add to the thread, but ties both that thought and the overall thought together was the movie Juana Man. Do you remember that? Yes. I was talking about that. The movie Juana Man, I feel like is where people get their sort of bias towards this situation almost even too, is like, See, everybody becomes a Juana man and you end up you end up dominating the sport because you choose to, you know, the other gender. And it's like that is a movie that is fiction that is not real. (laughs) 
Right. That is not how any of this works. Especially when things get polarized like this, we have to look at reality. You know, not, the numbers are saying that this is a non-issue. Right. In terms of like competition, transgender women competing against cisgender women. It's a non-issue. It's just not. It's all this is not the conversation. Um, and the conversation needs to be around the mental health and safety of transgender people. The conversation needs to be around uh, why do we feel so threatened uh, by people that identify differently than us. The conversation needs to be around uh, those types of things as opposed to what they're around. Yeah, I mean, statistically, the person who finished number two to Leah Thomas is going to have a much easier mental health journey than Leah Thomas. Success does not void you of feelings, heartbreak, and pain. You lead to a good point, too, overall, which is if you came in second, you're still going to get an NIL deal. You're still probably going to go swim the Olympics. If you came in third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, and tenth, you're still probably going to go make the Olympic trials. It, it, it's a non it's a non conversation, especially when it comes to competition. What I don't want us, and I mean us on the podcast, but us greater us uh, to get into is that like a oh well when it gets to a certain percentage of athletes that sure. are trans that are now competing right like now it's a challenge yeah. right so like because. I, I can easily see that being something that happens, right? That like, call it 10, 20 years from now, revisiting this conversation. And now let's say there's 20% of uh, athletes that, I, that are transgender that are competing. And like, now it's a huge problem. It's like, no, like people are identifying how they actually are and they're competing wherever they're competing. Like, and that's it, right? So, so, so again, this comes back for me to the space of like, a society dominated by the idea of winning and losing. Yeah. And that that somehow is the only indicator or the primary indicator of success. What I have seen is the generation that is right behind us that's a little bit younger is far more comfortable and far more nuanced in their understanding of identity and transgender and being welcoming and accepting of, of all people, right? Which is something that gives me hope, right? But it leads me to the point of like you both being parents of young people that are in that generation, like towards the younger end of that generation and, and wondering... Like, I wonder for you, like imagining the day, if it's not here already someday soon, where your kids are involved in sports, where maybe there are transgender athletes competing, right? Like, what are the conversations you're having with them to create a space that is welcoming, at least for, for your kid being the one that's welcoming and accepting? Like, I, I'm wondering, what are those conversations that you have with them? Our conversations have already happened. I mean, my sons, I think our, our kids have a very healthy understanding of how to be accepting of trans youth and their friends because they know them they have they're, they're there interacting with them all the time and to answer your question Shubu, for me like I, i'm not i'm not i'm not a competitive person at all let me take that back i've been involved in competition but like i i just don't compete like i think the only battle that happens is the one in your mind and in your heart with yourself um that's the main competition and i Zena's not super competitive. I think we'll we'll be raising Nola to to be who she is and love on any, anyone and everyone. And I, you know, I kind of look at it as like I can't imagine that it'll ever be a problem for Nola to compete against you know someone who identifies as trans because it's just it won't matter to her. 
a lot of what I've seen, right, is like parents being back to one of the points you made earlier, Lamar, like that, that within the family is where a lot of these challenges can come from, right? And, or, or that direct sphere of influence people you have around you. And like, anytime there's been challenges around here, like I've seen it from parents, right? Not, not being as welcoming or accepting or, or not creating the conditions for, for their children to like be welcoming and accepting. And somehow, you know, like a lot of those young people end up still being very welcoming, accepting, uh, yeah. nuanced in their understanding of identity, but, but still a challenge is coming uh, from a generation a little bit older, you know? And so, yeah, I, just, I was just really interested from y'all because y'all are parents, you're in it. All right, y'all, well, that is it for today's episode. Thank you for joining us. We hope you're leaving with a level up and that you will join us again on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify for the rest of season four. So if you haven't already, please subscribe, review, and spread the good word so that we can all redefine and thrive. We appreciate y'all. The Men Up Podcast is a Grin and Bear production. The soundtrack is courtesy of Mike McGinley Music and visual artwork by Viotti Design Studio. Video clips from each episode are edited by Joe Oliveri. The executive producer and editor on the Men Up podcast is me, Christian Shabu. You can listen to us every week on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts or by visiting themenup.com.